really had a really good mentor conversation with another partner who really helped me and basically told me, you can be whatever kind of partner you want to be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, for today, we're revisiting a career path that surprisingly we haven't visited in quite a while. That's the path of starting at the staff level and working your way all the way to partner in one of the big four national accounting firms. Jennifer Toddling in the D.C. area is joining us for the show today, and she started with EY straight out of college, and she's a partner with them today. It wasn't quite as direct a journey as you may expect, though. In this episode, we're going to discuss how Jennifer initially wanted to work in the sciences, actually, and that interest still benefits her today, how she had to go remote before remote was even dreamed of, and how she took on a short detour to work at the SEC for a few years before returning to EY as a partner later on. I didn't realize how much variety there was going to be in Jennifer's story, honestly, until we got into the actual interview. And that's not even mentioning the ballroom dancing interest. That's something we discussed near the end as well. So you need to listen to the whole interview. This one is really interesting. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please check us out online. We have some classes that would interest you. If you haven't had the opportunity to work in tax and you'd like to learn tax, or if you're thinking maybe of being self-employed later in the tax area and you'd like to learn tax, we have some tax courses specifically for entry-level accountants and one that I'm particularly proud of. It's our new on-demand anytime kind of course. It's our individual tax boot camp that's pre-recorded with all the tools that you'll need to have a successful course on your own, on your schedule. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career or for any accounting association that you're involved in, please don't hesitate to reach out. Just look for me on LinkedIn, Mark Goldman CPA, and I'll pop right up. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. I really enjoyed this interview, and I think you will as well. Here's Jennifer Toddling. Well, hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, this will be fun for sure. Well, for the audience, as you know, we cover a variety of career options on this show. And although, you know, we have a lot of people that pursue plan B or plan C or even plan D in their career, it's important to me that we interview individuals that have taken what some of us consider to be the more more traditional plan A path of many accounting majors, that of becoming an accounting firm partner or a leader in industry later on. Well, today we have Jennifer Toddling joining us for the program, and Jennifer is a partner with EY in the Washington, D.C. area. And yes, of course, everyone is unique, so we're still going to get into discussing a few other interests that Jennifer has, but it's been a while since we had a national firm partner on the program, so I'm really looking forward to this interview. Well, Jennifer, before we get to your current role in the present time, let's make sure we cover your overall journey in detail. What led you to decide on accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Yeah, thanks, Mark. No, I'm happy to. And it's funny, I didn't actually set out to choose accounting. When I started college, I started at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I'm a Colorado native. And I actually started as a molecular biology and French major. I wanted to be a research scientist, sort of 
finding the cures for, for diseases or, you know, being in the lab. I had a wonderful opportunity my first year of college to work with the research scientists as part of a grant and a special program that the university offered. Got really deep into the science and the postdocs, doctorate fellows that were working there. And that was a really good experience for me to realize that that was not what I wanted to do. I realized, you know, I, I enjoy science, but I really love interacting with people. And I needed a career and a path that was going to be a little bit more people focused. And so that was sort of my first aha moment that maybe this was was not where I actually wanted to spend my career. And so I actually ended up moving to California. I actually got married at 20. You know, I had kind of an early relationship younger in my career. And I moved to California and transferred at that time actually to the community college. You know, I was trying to establish myself with in-state residency. I took a few different classes, business classes, and, and I stumbled across accounting. I had always loved math. And I just sort of fell in love. It, my brain worked in a different way. It, it connected for me. It clicked. I also had a wonderful teacher who was a practitioner, and I think that definitely made a difference. And I decided to give it a shot. Later found out that my grandpa actually was also an accountant, and he worked in the Air Force. He was a colonel in the Air Force and, and was a budget officer at the Pentagon. And so there was something, I think, in the genes, too, that drove, that motivated me there. And so I actually got my associate degree at the community college in accounting and ended up transferring to Cal State Fullerton my senior year. I really compressed my time there and got a lot done in a really short period of time and pursued, you know, at that point, interacting and recruiting with all the different firms to pursue a career in public accounting. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I just have to ask, and I know this was just sort of a a side point, but the French major, did you end up going back for accounting and French? (laughs) You know, I didn't. I loved French. I studied French, you know, in in junior high and high school and in college. And that was a really great experience for me too, but I I didn't end up really pursuing that. I think I just sort of found accounting and just kind of went with it, you know? So I think it was also a good experience you know, early in my college experience to to really get deep down into French to also realize, okay, maybe I'm okay not pursuing this further as well. Now, since I since then, I have traveled to France. I worked on my language skills. Uh, my husband today is from Brazil. So now Portuguese, it's like half French and half Portuguese in my brain. But I've, I always loved that the language and the culture and the experience. And so that's definitely been a, a part of me. But I did actually not decide to pursue it from a major perspective. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I just had to ask. We, we've had yeah. several. <laughs> a lot of interest in there. That, yes, it is. it is. We've had several people that were interested in, in biology, and we had some pre-med majors that ended up becoming accounts. You're the first and French major. <laughs> I have a lot of ands in there. Yep. Yes, I love it. I love it. So I know you've been at EY a long time now, but I want to make sure we cover the steps in the middle and how you got on board in the first place. How did you get on with EY? Was it a typical internship program or did you start some other way? Yeah, I think I was, because I was a transfer student, I was sort of a late starter to just even understanding because I transferred even to Cal State Fullerton my senior year, you know, I didn't really understand the accounting clubs and the beta alpha psi and all sort of the traditional networking that you would do to get connected to the firms. And so I discovered it, but it was sort of late to the game. So at that point, you know, I didn't pursue an internship. You know, my senior year, I interviewed, you know, did the traditional kind of meet the firms, interviewed with all of the different firms, big, small, kind of everywhere in between. And really for me, it was about where did I feel like 
I fit in or I connected the most with the people. And I think I experienced that every firm has kind of a slightly different culture. And so for me, every time I interacted with EY professionals, like it felt very comfortable, very natural, like the culture just felt very authentic to me and and I just felt very comfortable there. And so that was always my first choice. And EY took a little bit of a chance on me because I was still navigating, you know, some of my intermediate accounting courses at that time. And so I didn't have the traditional path where I had the internship and I had the coursework to show what I had completed because I was kind of compressing it in a shorter period of time. But I got an offer to start full-time the following year and definitely been very grateful for that experience. And so I did start in the Irvine, California office. And this is where the science piece still is connected. And I knew immediately that you know my passion for science was still there. And so I still wanted that to be a part of my career, even if I wasn't a scientist. And so I went in pretty much from day one, focused on life science, healthcare companies. And so that was sort of my niche that I established really early on to still be exposed and surrounded by scientists and companies that were trying to create new therapies to help people, but not actually be on the science side of it. And so that was sort of how I combined those two passions and had a really wonderful time working with some of the most amazing people in Southern California. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I I think a lot of young accountants don't realize that you can still pursue other interests, if you will, or still have access to other interests you have within an accounting career. Like you, you know, you're still very attached to the science, the sciences. And I've had people that were very interested in tech, but didn't want to work in it and ended up serving tech clients. And same with restaurants, you know, love love the restaurant atmosphere and working with the owners just didn't want to work in a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. And serve restaurant clients. And say, yeah, you can still, you know, be in touch with your passions, you know, and not necessarily, you know, do it for a full-time job. That's hmm, interesting. Interesting. So take us through your 17, I think it's 17 years with EY. What have been, I guess, some of the key moments? How did you progress? Because you are a partner. And and so I think it's important for our listeners to sort of understand how you got there. (laughs) Yeah. So I've been, I think I've crossed over the 18 year mark now in the profession. So I've spent 15 years at EY and then I've spent, I spent three years at the SEC, which I'll give some context to. But yeah, so kind of starting from where we were just left off, came into Southern California, started working on audits of life science companies of, of all different shapes, sizes, you know, private, public, sort of the full gamut. And, and I spent eight years in that practice, really, really deep in the networking and just all the different components of life science and healthcare. And I did do restaurant clients actually too for about five years. That was also a wonderful hmm. experience. So in that time, and I think it is important to just provide some additional context is I had a unique challenge my staff two years. So my second year at EY where my you know significant other at the time actually became disabled and I needed to be able to work from home. And this was, you know, I don't know, 17 years ago, right? It's not the teleworking virtual environment we're in today. And I actually started calling recruiters and saying, I need to find a new job because in my brain, I didn't even think that I could make this possible, you know, in a demanding client service profession. And I had one recruiter basically ask me, like, have you talked to EY to see if they'll work with you because you've established yourself? It's probably easier to see if they can work around your situation than trying to come in somewhere new because I really needed a lot of flexibility at the time. And so I approached, you know, my senior managers and my managers and my partners, and they really just embraced me and helped me find some of my clients 
they, they didn't care if I was working from home or I was, I could come in the office, you know, periodically. Some of them did, right? And so I had to sort of rework my client load. And I just had amazing support to be able to still progress and continue in my professional capacity and be present at home where I needed to be. And so my manager at the time, I mean, she came and homeschooled me so that I could attend the training so that I could get promoted to senior because I couldn't go in person. I would work flexible hours of the day and it, you know, I would call into audit committee meetings or I'd have all these backup plans. And so I think that was really formative for me as I saw that there was a lot of flexibility and support. And honestly, without that, I really wouldn't be where I am today as a partner because they really helped me at a very critical time in my life that I just needed that support. And so those first eight years of my career, I think really just provided a good foundation and client service and, and being able to navigate sort of what I was dealing with in my personal life at the time. And then as part of that, I still would say, hey, you know, I would like opportunities one day maybe to work in national or I'd love to go abroad one day. And so when I was about to be promoted to senior manager, I had a lot of different opportunities that came my way. So one of the partners I had been working with had nominated me to go interview to be part of the national audit practice in New York. I had an opportunity to go be uh, do a rotation in Belgium, you know, use, use my French uh, language <laughs> skills. And I had some other opportunities, you know, in Northern California to do the life science practice. And so ultimately, I decided to go to New York and spend years, three years in our national audit practice. But that was sort of how I, my, my sort of first jump outside of traditional client service and, and seeing the firm and the profession sort of from a different angle. Wow. How long did you end up? Working remotely, and and the, the reason I'm asking is because I, I think we're talking about ten years ago, maybe is that seventeen years eight? ago? Yeah, seven, this was like 2004. I worked remotely wow. for five years, so it was my staff two years through. I think like my manager one year, which are really really critical times, right? And I was sort of a pioneer in that. On we didn't have the electronic audit tools that we do today. Like it wasn't web based. It was old school. Trying to think different files in the hub. And I'd have files, hard copies couriered to my house so that I could do the quarterly reviews. Learning how to, to be a senior and supervise staff remotely, you know, so getting on the phone and, you know, navigating the work papers together. You know, I had to get really creative in navigating that. So I sometimes wow. forget about that now because it seems so so long ago, but I do think that's important to share because I've been, that was a critical piece of me being able to have sort of the support I needed to be where I am today. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, to discuss remote work now, it's, I mean, it's sort of commonplace, but back then, I mean, we're talking, you have Windows version 1.0 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, yeah. And, and, and honestly, when we talked about it, it was like, well, we'll try and see if we can get you through this busy season. And if it doesn't work out, then you can find another job. And so I didn't have a lot of faith or hope that this was going to work out the way that it did. But I have these like three female leaders the like, that like changed my life. And they were there later in my life when I got married again. And there when I made partner, like it's just, I think that support system was just absolutely critical to where I am today. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Yeah, we're we're not talking Zoom and Teams and <laughs> Yeah. No, no. It is old school like picking up the phone and calling someone and you know, it was it was very different. So um Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Before we pass through this part, you mentioned the Belgium rotation. I didn't know about that. Do you remember very much about that experience? Anything you can share with us? Because that sounds very interesting. 
Yeah. So I didn't end up pursuing that. I think that was a choice. I've always wanted to work abroad. And so that was sort of, I had these different opportunities and I pursued Belgium twice. Like I was like ready to go. Like this is going to happen. And so I was going to do, it was still going to be a client service rotation, but on a large public company in Belgium. And so I had always wanted to have that experience. And so I weighed that really heavily. I still would love to work abroad one day. But when I had that opportunity to go to New York and the people I met and just to see the profession from a different angle, so to, you know, to, to understand better, like, why do we do what we do? And what do the methodology look like? What do the auditing standards say? And honestly, I fell in love with New York and ultimately decided to sort of pursue that path. I did end up traveling to Belgium and Australia to do site visits for large group audits that I was on. And so I still got that opportunity to experience, you know, the different offices, but ultimately did decide to do the national office rotation, which also was a very pivotal point in my life and career because it helped expose me to different passions that I have with dance, with coaching, just to see the world a little bit differently in the accounting realm. And then ultimately offered me an opportunity to apply for a fellowship at the Securities and Exchange Commission. That will sort of help support my path to partner ultimately, you know, back at EY. Okay. You know, it's been a long time, literally probably a couple of years since we talked about a national office rotation on this show. So for our listeners that are earlier in their career, can, can you tell us a little bit about what that involves? Yeah. And there's different ways that that you can have that experience. So at least at EY, we have national accounting. So you might get really into the, the details on a certain accounting topic. So like business combinations, for instance, or taxes, and you get really deep into, you know, what does the accounting guidance say? How do you help support teams and companies through applying that guidance to sort of their facts and circumstances? I worked in, and, and I am you know, a national audit partner now in our audit practice. And so that's really understanding, making sure that our audit guidance complies with the auditing standards and that we're helping support our audit teams in delivering a quality audit. And so a lot of that was following the standard setters. So like the PCAOB at that time that I was in New York, you know, it was a very active time for the PCAOB with some new rules on, you know, changes to the auditor's report or identifying the partner's name. And so I got really involved in some of those standard setting projects and followed that and, you know, helped submit our comment letters to provide our perspective on that rulemaking. I helped respond to inspection findings, right? So what is, how do you reply to that? How do you navigate whether you need to provide more guidance or training to teams? I like to say it helps you just see the the accounting profession from one level up, right? So it really gets you into the understanding better, like why do we do what we do? What do the auditing standards require? And I think it just gives you a greater visibility and appreciation to the different components of what makes our profession tick. And so in many senses, it was like having a new job because I didn't serve clients at that time. And so I got, I used my brain in a different way. Okay. Okay. And then the SEC fellowship, did you... And there again, I apologize for my ignorance, but did you leave EY for the fellowship or were you still affiliated with EY? How did that work? And what was that exactly? Yeah, no, I completely left. So I I severed employment with EY. I was fully independent as, as a regulator. And so the application process for that was very arduous. So it was a six month, maybe nine months preparation process where I had to be very familiar with all the different policy, accounting, auditing, regulatory policy matters influencing the profession because the interview for that is 
an all-day interview. I had to create a policy paper recommending my own policy recommendation that then I basically, it's almost like a master's thesis, I defended and presented and got questioned on as part of the interview process. And then there was a policy panel of questions that all the different candidates would be asked. And so it actually was a very, very robust and arduous process to sort of get through. And so I was pretty proud when I got that opportunity. So I was nominated by EY. So I had the support of the firm in doing that. But I left the firm. You know, I resigned effectively, and which which is important because I was now putting a regulator hat on, right? And so that was kind of another level up in understanding what's going on in the profession and definitely got a lot more exposure, you know, not just to EY auditors, but to other firms, to lawyers, to government officials, to academics, economists. Like my brain just stretched so much in those three years and really understanding like, what does it take to bring a new auditing standard to bear? And so I had some really exciting projects when I was there, again, like changes to the auditor's report and audit committee disclosures. So I had a you know, really interesting time in just stretching my brain again in, in a different capacity and meeting a, a bunch of wonderful people, like some of my best friends were the result of that experience. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that worked exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the word fellowship, I, I wasn't sure. Or being yeah, a fellow, it, it, I wasn't sure. I will be honest with you. I didn't even know like the national office rotations and these fellowships existed probably till I was like a senior manager. And so I think part of, I, I appreciate the question because I think it is good for people to know younger in their career, like you can have multiple careers, even if you're in the same company, because there are so many different experiences you can have. And I do think every five to seven years, like, is probably right to try something new because it just helps you continue to grow and develop. And so that for me, I try and tell people too, like, hey, there are these other opportunities. So just because after five or seven years, you you might want to try something new doesn't mean you actually have to leave in order to do that. Okay. Okay. So then you come back to EY a few years later, and obviously you're a partner now. At what point did you become partner? So when I came back, so I was actually a direct admit partner. So I didn't do the traditional partner route where you kind of make senior manager and then you get promoted directly to partner. I came back directly from the SEC as a partner and back in the national office. And so I've been back now a little bit more than four years and also now serving clients again in the life science space. And so that's definitely been, you know, a lot changes, right? In, in the state of accounting and auditing, you know, the world moves quickly. So that definitely was an adjustment to come back to and it's a different pace than what life looks like in accounting. And being a partner is different, right? And so definitely felt that shift and embraced it. But it's been a, an amazing journey, honestly, and, and growth for myself. Okay. What, what do you enjoy about, I guess, that level of responsibility, being a partner, you know? And I guess what is... <laughs> There again, for our our younger audience, what is the life of a partner like at a national firm? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's funny, when I came back and it felt a little weird, honestly, on my orientation to to call myself a partner, right? Say, hi, I'm Jen Podlane. I'm I'm an audit partner. And it took me a minute to sort of embrace that. And it was interesting because on that first day, it also felt different. My team, you know, I was trying to integrate back to EY. I was working in a new office. I hadn't worked in the Tyson's Virginia office before. So it was new people, 
um, some of the people I had worked with before, but it was a new team. And I could tell there was like a different level of responsibility and influence that came with that role. So, you know, people treated me a little bit different, right? And I felt like I wasn't part of the cool club anymore. You know, I'm kind of the partner, you know, that seems a little bit more scary or intimidating. And so I also realized that there's a lot of influence with that. And so I want to be a good role model. I want to inspire others. And so I tried to take that to heart of being serving in that capacity. And it's a lot of fun, right? So I think that there's a different level of influence that you have. And so if you can use that wisely, that that goes a long way. People really respect it. I personally like being out of all of the details. I like being able to look at things from a bigger picture, sort of higher level. So that, that works for my brain. I know that that can be hard for some people to sort of get out of the details if you're really analytical and you really like to kind of be the doer. Every time you're sort of shifting from senior to manager to senior manager to partner, you're a little bit more removed from those details. I personally really like that. I love leading teams. And so that's been really wonderful to be able to embrace. But it also comes with responsibility, right? And I definitely feel that, especially now that I am serving clients again, of you know, ultimately, I am the partner in charge and I'm signing, I'm authorizing that signature, right? And so I take that, I don't take that lightly. And so there are times when I'm up at night and I need to make sure before I, I'm comfortable signing off that I'm comfortable. And so I definitely, that has been um, a growth experience for me to make sure I'm asking for help when I need it, to really make sure I understand what's going on so that I am comfortable with with authorizing that. And so that. And then recognizing that I know what I'm, that I'm trying my best and I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to learn from it and be open to trying to have the right frame of mind to stay positive in that. But it's definitely stretching me as a leader. And so it's been a, a very interesting experience. Okay. That segues really well into something I also want to ask you about. You mentioned in one of our pre-show conversations about learning more about executive coaching. And since we're talking about leading teams and, and that kind of thing, I guess, how have you expanded your knowledge in that area? Yeah, it's funny. I think New York was sort of like a creative awakening for me when I went into that national rotation. And I, I don't even remember how I discovered it, but I've always been a lifelong learner. So I've always loved to learn new things. And I stumbled across executive coaching and I fell in love. And I felt, I really felt like, I had found found my calling that, you know, I want to be a coach one day and I'd love to coach partners and I'd love to coach people in the accounting profession. And whenever I decide that I'm retiring from public accounting, that's probably where you'll find me. And so I started just learning more and doing a coaching education program that was remote. And so I did that sort of my last year in national in New York and finished it when I was at the SEC. It took me a little bit of time, you know, to squeeze it in with a full-time job. And I just felt like that was just using a different part of my brain and helping people in a different way. And so that was eight years ago. And so I didn't really lose touch, but I didn't fully integrate that over the last few years. And every year I kept telling myself, I want to work on my coaching credential, you know, really have that credential behind me, which is is sort of like the CPA exam for accountants. Um, There's, you know, an international coaching federation that credentializes coaches. It's a very rigorous process you have to go to. And so that's always been my goal for the last eight years. And so last year with COVID, you know, I got inspired again, actually watching this Center for Audit Quality's Road Trip Nation, which, you know, if people haven't seen that that are listening, I would encourage you to take a look at documentary on, you know, all the different places accounts go. 
And I saw Sarah Elliott, which I think you have had as a guest or you've interacted with her. And, you know, she was an audit partner turned executive coach and she just inspired me to learn more. And so I connected with her and learned that she had gone through a program at the University of Texas at Dallas, which I had actually looked into like eight years ago, but I you know, hadn't pursued at the time. And, and that just kind of gave me motivation to get re-inspired and say, hey, let's, let's really work on this coaching credential because that's important to me personally. And so I did. I spent the last year in school, three nights a week. God bless my husband for taking care of my <laughs> daughter those nights in the, in, in the bedtime and worked really hard to just start to see like, what does it look like if I integrate that part of my life? Also still being an audit partner, but also doing some coaching on the side internally. And what does that look like? And so happy to say that as of Tuesday of this week, I have finally completed all of the requirements for my credential and I submitted my application. So I'm hoping to be able to add those three little letters next to my name in the short future. But that's really been sort of a passion project of mine that feels really, really good to be bringing to completion and and, and really just honoring that that's a part of who I am and embracing that. I've got to believe just if nothing else, that training helps you be better with clients and of course, internally. <laughs> well, well, for sure. Right. Cause you're, le- yeah, you're learning how to just listen, right. How many times do we actually just pause and listen and, and really try and just be present in that. And so it's definitely influenced how I lead my teams, how I show up, how I live my life. And that's what I started to realize. Like there's benefit here, no matter what, I don't have to be using that full time to see that. And so that's been really wonderful. Wonderful. Well, there's three questions I end every show with, and I want to get to those, but there's one more thing I want to ask you about. (laughs) I feel like I'm cheating here a little bit because I know you're going to be on John Garrett's show, you know, talking about this, but you mentioned ballroom dancing in one of our emails originally. And I guess, obviously, it sounds like it's a current hobby. Is this a passion that you pursue regularly or what do you do exactly? I can't even picture ballroom dancing other than dancing with the stars. So I'm not even sure what to ask. Well, that's pretty close. That is pretty close. I've been a dancer my whole life. And so if I look back to being a young girl and a teenager, I was a pre-professional ballet dancer. It was always a really big part of me. When I was in California, I sort of stopped dancing just for whatever reason. And when I came to New York, you know, inspiration struck again. And I discovered and found ballroom dancing. I fell in love with it. I was dancing probably three or four hours a night after work every day. I didn't sleep a lot (laughs) during New York, but I just (laughs) fell in love. And so I, I competed. I did do kind of dancing with the stars. So I had professional dance instructors who were my partners and we competed and performed together. And when I moved to DC area, I moved where the ballroom dance studios were so I could walk to them. And that's actually how I met my husband today because he's also a dancer. And so it is a current hobby. My husband and I have competed together in New York. We've performed. We have done halftime shows as part of our dance team for the Washington Wizards and the Mystics. So like the NBA and WNBA team. EY has had some talent shows that I've participated in, which has been wonderful to be able to bring that hobby to EY. When I was at the SEC, I taught some of the SEC commissioners how to do the salsa, which was just an amazing (laughs) experience. It's one of my really just pivotal moments of that experience. And then recently, even with COVID, I did a dance class for my national office team over the summer, just virtually, just to have a little bit of fun, right? And just try and integrate that. And so definitely a current hobby. It's it's a little harder to do with a three-year-old running around, but she's sometimes in the background if I can get into a virtual class. And, and she has the dancing gene in her too. So she loves to dance. 
So definitely a big part of who I am. Wow. <laughs> and, and it's quite a workout too. I mean, just three hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that qualifies as exercise. I mean, that's. It definitely was exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a lot. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I just, just watching them. Thinking, I mean, you're moving as much as you do in tennis, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Well, interesting stuff. Well, for everybody listening, uh, Jennifer is going to be on John Garrett's podcast, What's Your And? And I'm sure she you know, gets into a whole lot more depth there. So make sure you listen to John's show. John's a previous guest on this show, actually a couple of times. And so I always like to plug his show if, if at all possible. So that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> two birds with yeah, one. He's stone. awesome. He's awesome. And I learned about him from your podcast, right? So it's nice to pay it forward. So that's wonderful. Oh, cool. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. So let's go ahead and get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Yeah, I think there's a couple that kind of come to mind. The most recent one, I, in, as I mentioned, the coaching program this year, passing my oral coaching exam. Basically, I had to provide a, a recording of a coaching conversation and have it assessed by assessors and at a very high level, you know, of coaching experience and passing that, like, just was amazing because I worked really, really, really hard for a long time to get to that point. I think also getting the SEC fellowship, as I kind of explained, that process was extremely challenging to navigate. And I, I called it the career endurance challenge because it was really, really hard. And so I think when I got that, that that was a really proud moment for me to sort of integrate. So I think those two were two that stick out because I really worked hard to make those happen. And I think that definitely paid off. Okay. Well, second question, what have you learned the hard way? Tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way. And if you can give us a little detail <laughs> behind yeah. the situation, that's best because that's how we learn from these things. Yeah. One story that comes to mind is when I had just had my daughter and I was trying to return from maternity leave, I said yes to too much too quickly. And I do have a tendency of, I like to call myself a recovering people pleaser because I've definitely gotten better at it. But I've cared a lot about what people think and trying to make other people happy. And, you know, when I returned from maternity leave, I said yes to some things that I, I wasn't really emotionally ready for yet. And at that time, thankfully, I did have an executive coach that kind of helped me navigate. Okay, how do I backtrack and say, actually, I can't say yes to that because I'm not. I'm not ready for that yet, but here's what I can do instead. And that was really hard for me to just even admit because I felt like once I had said yes, that was it and I had to commit to it. And so learning for me now, I'm very strategic on what I say yes to and I'm more comfortable saying no more often, which I think is is, is really hard to do. And, and especially when you're younger in your career and you want to make a good impression, but you might have, I think those boundaries are important. And, and especially if things are important to you in your personal life, navigating that can be hard to establish and enforce a boundary. And so that was a, I've learned a lot as a working mom on getting stronger in my ability to to say no and not feel guilty about it. And so I think that first experience of coming back, you know, was one that I felt I had to learn the hard way a little bit and it was a little painful, but it's helped me for sure. in, in feeling stronger on, you know, what do I really want to say yes to? And it doesn't have to be everything. Mm. Yeah, that is a good lesson to learn. I mean, if you say no, to a few things, it makes you better when executing on the things that you've said yes to, <laughs> you know, because if you say yes to too much. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you 
have ever received. So two things come to mind, but the first is, you know, when I was in national and I was a senior manager, I was navigating before the SEC fellowship was even on the table. You know, I was navigating what my next career move was going to look like. And I was trying to decide, you know, do I want to go down the partner route? Do I want to be a director? Do I want to do something else? And at that time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a partner. You know, I had some doubt in that. And I didn't always see partners that were doing all the things that I wanted to do, right? And and I wanted to have that balance as a working mom and being able to indulge in my hobbies and passion projects as well. And so I actually, you know, had a really good mentor conversation with another partner who really helped me and, and basically told me, you can be whatever kind of partner you want to be. And that really helped me frame that I could still be authentic. I can still have all my different ands, right? All my different components and be a partner. And that might not look the same as, as everybody else. And that's okay. And I still have had to embrace that and, and really own that as a partner too. It's not, it doesn't just come naturally like, okay, I'm a partner now I'm done. There's still a lot of, you know, growth and in, in development in that. But I really just appreciated that perspective because that has stuck with me. And then I always haven't gotten this advice directly, but I love my Angelo and she has a quote that that really is how I try and live my life. And it's people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. And that really is just so powerful to me. And so that is something I really try and aspire of in my interactions with my team, with my clients, with my family, my friends. How am I making people feel? And am I conscious of that? And so I think that's something I definitely try and aspire to in in my life in all aspects of it. Wonderful. Well, gosh, I mean, you, you've shared a, a lot of wisdom and, and some really good stories as well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of layers to unpack there. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Yes, no problem. No problem. Well, thank you. That is perfect to end this on. And I really, really appreciate you spending your time with our audience. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Mark. Thank you again. Well, that was my interview with Jennifer Toddling. And there again, I just I always enjoy a story of success, a story of someone working hard to achieve success, but nonetheless, a story of success. And, you know, one thing that really sticks out to me in this interview, it's my belief that most successful people, frankly, it's my belief that all successful people don't get there 100% on their own. They put in the hard work, yes, and sometimes there's sacrifices along the way. But if you really look into the story, they also have help along the way. And I just loved Jennifer's attitude about that. I mean, she mentions a mentor at the end of the interview. And early in the interview, she mentions those friends that helped her be able to do her job remotely when she had to do it remotely and when remote work just wasn't a thing. That just wasn't something that was done back then. But she had some friends, some leaders at the firm that helped her get through that period. And I just love her graciousness and about recognizing that. And I find that very admirable in a leader. So I really enjoyed this interview. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers podcast. As usual, we will see you all next week with another accounting career-related topic. I really appreciate you listening to us. We'll see you soon because after all, this is where accountants go.